Don't touch that dial. We're talking about channel on this episode. Yeah, that's all you get. That's all I come up with for this intro. So as always, I'm your host, Chris, and I'm joined by Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hello, everybody. And thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood, where we take a deeper look at the mechanics and going-ons of the wonderful card game of Magic the Gathering. First and foremost, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you have any uh, show ideas, please feel free to reach out to us. You can email us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter using the handle at mtgunderthehood. And with all of that out of the way, Joe, do you have any new decks of the week? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about it a lot more later, and it's not really anything new by this point, but the Pro Tour is coming back. Now, I don't have any aspirations to actually get to the Pro Tour. I don't think I'm going to be that good to make it happen. However, I would like to play in the you know, the regional event for our, our region and everything, and hopefully get up to that second tier of the, the pyramid for working your way up to Pro Tour. Uh, so I'm looking at some different Pioneer decks, since that is apparently going to be the first format that's going to be a Pro Tour level. So, uh, I, and I, I want to go with something outside of the normal meta. Now, I, I did check out some of the meta, and I am interested. I have I already have a lot of cards for, like, a Rakdos Sacrifice deck, which will be fine. That'll be good. You know, I, I, would, I would enjoy that. But I really have always liked the card Doom Foretold. Now, if you're not familiar with this card, Doom Foretold... On each player's upkeep, makes you sacrifice a non-land, non-token permanent. Now, when you cannot, all right, it it always works out in in your favor because the very last, if you don't have any other permanents, you have to sacrifice Doom for, and that's your permanent for the for the Mm -hmm. turn, right, for the trigger. If your when your opponent runs out, then you still have to sacrifice Doom foretold. But your opponent has to discard a card and loses two life. You draw a card, gain two life, and create a 2-2 white knight with vigilance token. So it really works out well in your favor. What I'm thinking, with the idea of Doom Foretold and uh, Underworld Dreams, which anytime your opponents draw a card, they lose one life. So multiple copies of Doom Foretold, multiple copies of Underworld Dreams, and then I just control what else they're allowed to have on the field. Um, you know, we were talking before, I, I play-tested it against an Is It Phoenix deck, which is one of the top decks in the meta right now. It uses Arclight Phoenix and a bunch of instants to basically dig down through your deck to get Arclight Phoenix, and Thing in the Ice is another one that, it, co- it comes in as a defender, but as you cast instants, it gets counters and eventually flips into this big 7-8 Kraken, uh, it's a 0-4 with Defender. Right. It comes into play with four ice counters. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you remove an ice counter, yeah. and whenever the last ice counter is removed, you uh, transform it, and the Kraken Horror has, whenever it transforms into it, return all non-horror creatures to the their owner's hand. That's it. That's it. Yep. So what I, what I was trying to do is make sure that, you know, it, whatever I do, I just want to make sure that I can, I can handle something. So... Play tested it a couple times, and I was I was trouncing the Is It Phoenix deck. I mean, because the the removal spells I have are all exile effects. There's no destruction in there, so if I'm simply exiling the Phoenix, you can't get it back, which you're not getting it back at all. And then your thing in, thing in the ice, I'm just gonna get rid of that too, you know. And the Underworld Dreams. Basically, what I want to do is punish the opponent for doing things they would normally do in the game. All right, and it's not something specific. It's just how you're supposed to play. Are you do, gonna? 
can you throw back to basics in there as well? Probably. But you'd have to splash blue. Oh, yeah. No, no. I think back to basics isn't Pioneer legal. Oh. Um, but because that's the one that... No, uh, Non-basic lands don't untap. Exactly, yeah. Um, plus, I have to run a lot of non-basics because the, mm. the hard part about a prison deck is that you have to be able to keep up mm. with the with all the other decks, with the, the mana base and everything. So I have to run the faster mana. Um, right now I'm getting by on like temples, tap lands, but that's not ideal. I really do need shock lands. The pathways. I need the pathways. Yeah, I need the shock. Yeah, I need the shock lands. I need the pathways. I need all of these uh, quick mana cards. Check lands. To, yeah. Um, the 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 fast lands from Kaladesh would be really nice to have. You know, or even the slow lands from Midnight Hunt for later on in the game. But it really just you know I I need a lot of non basics too. So that punishes a much. Um, so that's that's kind of the idea that I'm working with right now. I've been playing with it a lot, trying to figure out exactly what would work. I'm I'm struggling right now against creature-based decks. I think I have a good plan for them, but we're going to find out, you know. So that's what I've been working on, trying out something new, trying to get ready for the, the Pro Tour events that may be happening and come out with something outside the box that's going to surprise everybody. Chris, what have you been working on? Um, so I haven't really been working on much. Um... But I did have an interesting game uh, on uh, Friday, I think it was, this past weekend. Uh, Friday or Saturday. Uh, went to local game store to play Magic. Mm -hmm. uh, it was supposed to be a booster draft, but we only had like three people show up. Yeah. <laughs> and so we just played Commander, and I threw the idea out of doing Plane Chase. And it was a blast. Our first game, can't remember what the Phenomenon name is, but it was... A, like, we kept our hands, and I was playing Mono Red, and I had a Ley Line in my opening hand that I kept. And I was like, all right, cool. I get to play a Ley Line first thing, which is not necessarily good, not necessarily bad. I mean, I do get something out there, but at the same time, I'm pretty much starting you, with six hands. Well, six you're hand. also setting yourself up as a, like, prime target when you're dropping a Ley Line. Uh, a four mana, essentially, usually they're four mana yep. enchantments before the game even starts. That's that puts you as a high target already. <laughs> yeah, but the phenomena that was flipped. Um, so the first card, first card from the plane chase deck that we had, uh, was a phenomenon, and it was starting with whoever flipped it. Every player puts a permanent from their hand onto the battlefield, and this is before anyone. That's good. <laughs> and we did it, and we had it. We decided to do it, uh, flip the card at the beginning of the first upkeep. Okay. So before anyone drew a card. We are all putting like our most the most powerful things in our hands oh, yes. <laughs> down onto the field. Mine was a braid of fire, which is a red enchantment where it has cumulative upkeep of add red to your, add red mana to your mana pool. Um, and so the way that cumulative upkeep works is at the beginning of your upkeep, you put an age counter on it, and then you pay the um, cumulative upkeep equal to the age counters on it. So this one is um, I'm adding mana to my mana pool. But I lose it at the end of the upkeep. Yeah. Um, but that actually came in handy because it was sitting at like eight age counters. Right. Whenever we went to a certain plane where everyone was playing with the top card of the library um, revealed, and players can play cards from top of any library. So I could. Uh, the there was a guy that was playing a Malcolm Breaches so blue red pirates deck. So it was like, oh cool, I can do stuff on at instant speed on with his stuff. Yeah. Using my mana during my upkeep, 
oh my god, it was a blast. And so, <laughs> so I went online and because all I have right now is the Plane Chase app. Yeah, uh, it only has a you know I think it has like a hundred hundred cards or so. And I was like, are there any like custom you know planes cards you know for Plane Chase? You know, I just want to kind of add a few more you know just to you know have some fun. And I found one. Can't remember the username or anything. But there's 300 cards, which is awesome. And so I'm like, it makes awesome. A lot of fun. I need to save all. I need to go through, save all of these, print all of them, put a nice deck together, and just have chaos. <laughs> like at that point, um, we could have it to where we all have our own planer. We all have our own plane decks. Yeah. And uh, so that was fun. Um, and while we were talking before the show about the uh, pro tour and everything, see, Joe wants to play his prison deck. Me it, uh, with a few minor tweaks and everything. I'm gonna, t- I I'm gonna take my walls because it's just like the Inquisition. Nobody expects it. Exactly. And uh, we're gonna talk a lot more about Pro Tour later on. Mm-hmm. You know, so we'll make sure we definitely discuss those decks and why we're choosing what we're choosing um, later on down in the show. Yeah. So that'll be good. We only have one word to live by for this time around. Uh, the the word is channel. And it going a lot, again, along with the actual focus for today's show, and similar to what we had with ninjutsu... And equip. Or, and equip and crew, channel is really the verb form of the ability. Uh, it means you're activating the channel ability without actually saying, I'm going to activate the channel ability for this card. You'll simply say, I'm going to channel Boseju. And it's, it's just, again, it's just slang that people know and understand and once you hear it a couple times, you get the idea, and eventually you start to understand what it means. So again, just something very simple, that common vernacular that you'll need to know. So again, with today's show focus being channel, channel actually has a pretty long history, even though it doesn't have a lot of cards that use this ability. Chris, as always, tell us about channel. All right, so channel premiered in the Champions of Kamigawa set. Uh, and it, it was an ability word for spirit creatures, uh, the channel ability allow uh, always had an effect that was similar to the ability of that spirit creature. Uh, another piece of history is uh, one creature with channel appeared in Modern Horizons 2, uh, similar to the champion's channel creatures. It was a spirit with, and its channel ability mirrored what the creature did. In Neon Dynasty, one of the newest sets, uh, channel expanded into enchantment and artifact cards and then also the rare land cycle um, have channel abilities as well. Um, as before, the channel ability is related to the ability of the card, but it's not always the case anymore. Uh, for example, the uh, channel lands that they have, they don't add mana when you channel them. They all have their own special effects and everything, depending on which one you play. So it deviates there, and some of them do some things... Well, the channel ability for the lands, it's tied to what you might expect for the color. Mm -hmm. But you're right. It doesn't make sense for you to add mana using a channel ability where you're paying mana. Yeah, you'd have to... Yeah. Otherwise, you may as well just say, let's add Dark Ritual to all the cards. And that's just... At that point, that's just not as enjoyable. But, yeah, it it really has changed significantly with channel uh, now that Neon Dynasty has come out. So, Joe, I was looking through the show notes earlier, and uh, I saw a wall of text. And uh, why don't you tell us about that rules? The rules, actually, for channel are really, really, really simple. Uh, So we're looking at 207.2c. 
An ability word appears in italics at the beginning of some abilities. Ability words are similar to keywords in that they tie together cards that have similar functionality, but they have no special rules meaning and no individual entries in the comprehensive rules. It then goes on to list all of the different ability words with channel being one of them. So yes, that wall of text, about two thirds of it is just different ability words. All right, that's all. Now. I do want to dig in a little bit deeper because even though it's not explicitly stated, all right, channel is an activated ability. It doesn't always look like it immediately, but remember, for an activated ability to happen, you need to have cost colon, all right? So whatever the cost you're going to pay, then a colon, then the effect. And the cost for a channel is whatever the mana cost happens to be. Then you have to discard the name of the card. All right, so discard that card. The only big difference with channel is that in... in, in let me back up. <laughs> Think of channel like an instant card in your hand. It can happen at the same time because you can activate an activated ability anytime you can activate an instant. The only difference with an activated ability, that that card has to be on the battlefield, typically. Unlike ninjutsu is another example of where it comes from your hand. But with channel, the card has to be in your hand and it will go to the graveyard instead of staying on the battlefield. So that's why we it looks like it's a lot of text, but really you have to go to multiple places in the comprehensive rules to understand how channel works. Understand that it's an ability word, you pay the cost and get the effect. Channel just unifies them all in a flavorful idea with the idea that you're gonna have to pay a mana cost and discard the card to get the effect. Chris, you were looking at this wall of text with uh, a little glint in your eye as if you discovered something. What was it? So I started reading through some of the, um, now they're in alphabetical order. Yes. Um, but I was reading through them and I'm like, I was picking out which set I can remember those ones from. Yeah. And I went, okay, uh, Adamant, that was Eldraine. Addendum, that was... Guilds of Ravnica, Blood yeah. Rush was uh, one of the Tarkir. Yeah, Tarkir, Channel, Chroma. I'm looking at all these ones that I recognize, and then I'm like, oh look, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, things like Pack Tactics, uh, yeah. Tempting Offer. I'm I can see the ones that are that are definitely from uh, AFR. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. Well, I think Tempting Offer, I think, was from one of the Commander products. But I think it was the AFR. Oh, it could be, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it was a uh, it was a black legendary and uh t tempting offer where it was uh Okay. I think that's the one where if you were draw if you were to draw a card you exile it and then you can play the cards from exile and pay mana cost. I think it's something like oh, okay. that. So nice. uh, but uh and well you can play the card from exile, but you have to pay man you have to pay life instead of mana or something like that. Yeah. So like it balances it. Um, pack tactics. I remember that one from a goblin card. Yeah. Um, another fun one is uh, joined forces there because that one was from a commander. Um, from a commander set because uh, the one that I most remember joined forces was um, it was a green card and starting with you you can pay any mana mana and then you just go around the table. Oh okay. And then however much mana was paid into it, like however much extra mm -hmm. mana you know each player paid. You got you all got to search your libraries for that many cards. Oh wow, that's awesome! So it's like so but also devastating. <laughs> oh yeah, especially you know when so, when someone's like, oh cool, it's like oh 
It's like, yeah, I'll pay five. Yeah, I'll pay three. I'll pay two. All right, cool. Everyone, you know, gets all of their lands, and then next thing you know, someone wants to be really mean and plays an Armageddon. Yeah, that happened. And then gives all of their stuff, and then uh, and usually the uh, green-white players are always the meanest. Because then, you know, they'll be like, hey, here, I'll help everyone out, Armageddon. And then in response to that, they'll do a heroic intervention. Give them. Well, that's just... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the Totally wasn't cards. me. Totally <laughs> wasn't me. It was me. So the featured cards we have for this ability. I'm actually going to take the oldest cards, the original channel cards. These are the Shinnan Cycle from Saviors of Kamigawa. These were all spirit creatures. And there, there's five of them. One for each color. They all have channel, and in addition, they have some kind of ability printed on them if they were a creature card. So I'm going to take just one for example. We're going to do Shinnan of Flight's Wings. It's a 3-3 spirit creature. It costs four generic and a blue, and it has flying. It also has channel for one blue, discard Shinnan of Flight's Wings. Target creature gains flying until end of turn. So again, very similar. The Shinnan has flying when it's a creature. You can channel it to give something flying until end of turn. All the Shinnan had that ability of some sort, and usually it was less of a cost than actually playing a creature, but again, it was comparably costed as if it were an instant spell. Chris, what's next? All right, so we're going to save the best for last and leave the... Uh, oh, of course, and, yeah. And leave the, of course. leave the rare lands. <laughs> but so what I'm going to cover is Twin Shot Sniper. It's an artifact creature, goblin, archer. It costs three generic and a red. It's a 2-3. It has reach, and when Twin Shot Archer enters the battlefield, it deals 2 damage to any target. It also has channel, and you its channel cost is uh, a generic, a red, and discard twin, twin Shot Sniper. It deals 2 damage to any target. Again, it's somewhat it lower costing, and it's kind of similar to uh, similar cost to Shock, which is uh, like, 2 yeah. damage. So yeah. you're paying an additional 1 um to to channel it but i mean to me channel is not necessarily a bad thing especially because if it's in red yeah because then you have access to rakdos and then you can do a whole bunch of uh, aristocrats kind of thing evil um but like this it, you're paying two mana to do two damage not that bad yeah i mean not great but you're uh, right i, I mean i mean we're, it, uh, it's the idea of the modal ability mm -hmm. of the spell if you need to use it as an instant you can deal two damage to any target. If you can wait until you cast it as a creature and you can pay the four, you get a two three with reach that deals two damage to any target when it ETBs. You know, so it's it's one of those great modal opportunities that you have. And now the rare lands from Neon Dynasty. Now, do we want to cover all of them or just pick nah? I, let's go ahead and just let let's let let's yeah yeah. There's only <laughs> one that we really need to talk about, and it's the one that everybody's using. Baseju Who Endures. This is the green legendary land from Neon Dynasty. Its channel ability is one and a green. Discard Baseju Who Endures. Destroy target artifact, enchantment, or non-basic land and opponent controls. That player may search their library for a land card with a basic land type. Put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. This ability costs one generic less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Uh, so I actually learned something about this card. What's that? Notice how it says basic land type. Yes. That does not mean that it's only a basic land. Correct. Which means you can destroy something of your opponents, and then that, uh, and then, uh, that player 
can search for for a land that has a basic land. Well, which means you can give them a triome. Shock land. Or shock land. Or anything that has plains, islands, swamp, mountain, forest, waste. Uh, no, waste is not a basic land type. Waste is not a basic land waste type. Waste is not a basic land type. Yeah, it is. waste is a basic land, but waste is not a basic land type. Commonly, commonly misunderstood. And the reason it's a basic, it has to be a basic land so that you can have more than four copies in your deck. All right. And so you can make like, essentially, if you get a bunch of waste, you can make a colorless deck that has just a bunch of waste in it. Manipul. Yeah, Kozilek, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but it is not a basic land type. That's, yeah. um, oh, that's, yeah, that's so not only, fun. Only five basic land types. But re- you are correct, yes. Uh, with Boseju in particular, you can, or whoever gets their permanent destroyed, can go get well, a shock land, a trioma. It's yeah. an opponent, so... It yeah. can all, you can't, oh, it's true, yeah. You, you can't target your you can't own target stuff yourself. just for Oh, benefits. man, that would be broken. <laughs> if you could. Redirect? No, because redirect is change targets, but it has to be a valid target. Yeah. So, <clears throat> mm. so anyway, uh, and like I said, all the rare lands they all, from Neon Dynasty, they all have one of those channel abilities. Uh, Iganjo lets you deal damage to attacking or blocking creature. Uh, Otawara lets you return an, an artif- a creature enchantment or ar- planeswalker or artifact to its owner's hand. Sekenzin gets you token creature tokens. And Takanuma lets you mill cards and then return a card from a creature or planeswalker card from your graveyard to your hand. So, again, a lot of great utility there, and you really do think of them as instants, not so much even as a land, just. Something you can use. I need abandoned mine. Yeah, Takanuma's nice. Yeah, I need it for Sir Conrad. Conrad. <laughs> oh yeah, it, I need it for Conrad. Oh yeah, I knew. Uh, is it sad that? All right, so going a little off the beaten path here. Okay. I love how we're just now getting you know the hang of like Neon Dynasty and everything. And what are we in now? Preview season. Oh yeah. It, it, we are recording this the Monday before pre-release. Yeah. And I am for, for New Capenna. And yeah. I am still. Getting through all of the... I'm still trying to wrap my head around all of the cards that we're going to be getting. Oh, yeah. And on top of that, more cards from the Commander Legends Boulder Gate have also been spoiled. Yeah. So yeah. We're getting into that wonderful time of year where we're starting to get, like, preview, already. preview overload. So, yeah. Chris, tell us about the dominant colors for all of our channel abilities. All right. So, the dominant colors are as follows. There are five in white. 7 in blue, 2 in black, 6 in red, 10 in green, 1 multicolor, 0 colorless, and 5 lands. That is correct. <laughs> now, I the, think that's the first time that we have had lands and the colors. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Uh, the For our featured deck, in Neon Dynasty, the blue-green color combination for limited was designed to work well with the channel ability. However, what we have noticed People are not necessarily playing a channel deck. It's simply like blue-green just works well with channel, and a lot of the blue-green cards have channel on them. But if a channel ability is worthwhile, it's going into a deck. They, they are using it because <clears throat> it the, the ability to channel a card and use it like an instant instead of the permanent that it could be on the battlefield the utility again there is just so useful and what you can gain out of it. I mean, Greater Tanuki is uh, another great example. It's a green creature from Neon Dynasty. Not many people hard cast it 
they use it as the, the an ability to search up a land to fix their mana colors. You know, that you pay th- it's basically a, a bad cultivate. You pay three and discard the greater Tanuki, you go get a land. You know, it's not a great rate, but it does let you go ahead and fix your colors much easier. <laughs> and so uh, in Magic, we have utility lands. So these are right. lands that help you uh, do certain things. Beside that, it's more than tapping for mana. Yeah, they do more than tap for mana. Um, but utility lands stay on the field. Um, but with the channel lands, they're like utility, non-utility lands. Yeah, exactly. They're pretty much... So, because you can do use channel at instant speed, you get that extra benefit. Yeah. That makes them even better. Um, I was playing my Jessica Drago deck where I like to sacrifice things. Yeah. At the beginning of... Uh, at the end of someone's turn, I channeled... Uh, Sukozin. Uh, Crucible of Defiance. I paid the four mana because mm-hmm. I didn't have Dargo out because I needed right. I needed the creatures to sacrifice. I paid the four mana and discarded it to get two creatures. <coughs> yeah, just so that I can reduce the cost. I can just go. All right, I'm going to sacrifice those and play yeah. my commander for a little bit cheaper. And be, just being able to do that at instant speed, that way I can kind of set myself up for what I'm about to do. And just having that versatility. Yeah, because. You can channel at instant speed, which means, oh, you declared attackers. Okay, I'm going to channel this, create two, and then declare them as blocks. Exactly. So you can use it both offensively and defensively. Yeah. And you just have all of that flexibility. Uh, Ataru? Uh, uh, Otora? Uh, Otawara. Otawara. Because <laughs> it's like... And it's, a ba- it, it's bounceability, yeah. Yeah, it, it's bounce. And if you have... And all of these... All of the um, channel lands... They all have the stipulation. They all have that last sentence in there where it costs one generic less for each legendary creature you control. Yeah. So if you have... So with Besaju, if you're playing Commander and you have your Commander out... Immediately. It's it's one green. It's one green to destroy <coughs> artifacts, oh enchantments, non-basic lands. Yeah. That is absolutely phenomenal. That, that's an absurd, there, you, absurd ability. Well, three, that's why it's so popular. <laughs> three valid targets, yeah. and it only costs two. And those three valid targets are typically what's causing the most trouble. Yeah. So, Beseju is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, and, like I said, I wanted an abandoned mire. Mm-hmm. Because it will work beautifully with my commander, and I will happily, if I have my commander out, I can cycle that for... A for a mana value of three, and I get to mill three cards and then return a creature. I, I'm okay with that. Well, that's that's basically corpse churn. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I I mean that it will that adds another essentially another copy of a card that I already have into yeah. it. And if I don't want to do it, okay, I can just play, play it, it as a land. Play it as a and land it comes into play untapped. Yeah. The, the the channel ability really is nice, and it has it has worked its way into several decks. Not a lot of cards are really being used, but the channel ability, and when I say not a not a wide variety of you, you're seeing the same four or five cards pop up again. But that's just because they're so good. Sorry, well six or seven because the five lands are popping up in a lot of places. So you get you know, a couple more outside of the lands, but. They are popping up because the channel ability is so good. And I think when when you start looking at the, the champions of Kamigawa channel cards, 
the abilities just weren't worth. Well, that and I mean, Kamigawa itself got a bad reputation the first time around. Um, but the the channel ability, there were better things that you could do or better spells that you play instead of channeling these creatures. You know, uh, again, the Shinnan of Fury's Fire. It costs three to get a two one with haste. The the rate there just isn't all that great. You could do a lot better. And then discarding it, you know, paying the channel cost to give something haste, not necessarily the best option. All time. There are other things you could do, you know. So, but now that we have some of these better, more well-refined channel cards, you're going to see them pop up. When you're playing with channel, there's really just a couple things you got to pay attention to. You want to think of how you're going to use the card more frequently. Are you planning to use that card as the card or as in the, the permanent that will be on the battlefield, or are, gonna, are you planning to use it as the channel ability? Uh, this is really how you want to think about how that card should function in the deck. For example, let's again take our rare land cycle because they're so useful and they have such a drastically different approach to how you use them. Do you want to count them as part of your mana base? Or do you want to count them as an instant spell that can disrupt what's going on with your opponent, or in the case of Sekenzen, provide creature tokens. You know, that's a big decision that you have to look at while you're building the deck. So me, all right, so I'm actually gonna answer that question for you. Okay. Um, at least in my opinion, those are instants. They, they it should say legendary land instant. It, it should, and well, I agree with like, you. Like, because I'm looking at Paseju, and I, if I ever, play Paseju as a land, <laughs> something has gone we horribly, have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> something has gone horribly wrong. Well, with with uh, Tekanuma? Yeah. Uh, with Tekanuma, that one, that one I want for Conrad, but I will either use it as a land or, so it'll all be dependent on whether or not I have my commander out. Yeah. If I have my commander out, or I have Dreadhound, because they're very similar, um, I'll be tempted to use it as to channel it. Yeah. But if not, eh, I can easily just play it as land and find a way to bring it back. Or even, uh, um, or even if I do channel it, I have ways to recur it. And uh, there are car there are black reanimation cards that mm -hmm. say target card. Yes. So I can bring it back to my hand and just repeat the process and just have fun that way. Um. So for Tekanuma. It's situational, but for Paseju, that's going to be an, that's channel every single time because it's just too powerful and it's too good not to, too good to play as a land. I agree, and I I feel the same way about Iganjo as I'm looking at my Orzov Prison. Iganjo is going to go in there as a removal spell, and the intent is not to play it as a land unless. You, I need a land, I, I need that white mana source, and a destruction spell for attacking or blocking creatures is not adventus. It's more of a, if it happens to work out that I can use the removal spell, I will use the removal spell. It, it's more of a but, panic button. Yeah, exactly. Now let's look at a different one. Uh, Colossal Sky Turtle. This is a enchantment creature turtle. It's a 6-5. It costs four generic two green, and a blue. It has flying and ward two, which already, I mean, it, it's a difficult creature to cast. It costs seven, but you get a six-five flyer with 
protection. But you're in green and blue, so you can you have ramp. Exactly. You, you can do Simic exactly. things. Exactly. You know, I, I see anytime I see Simic cards, even if <laughs> even if they are that high, I go, oh, cool. It's just another Simic good card. Yeah. It's just another Simic card because it, it's already easy to ramp and get everything. But all right, go. But I think it also has two channel abilities where you can. Uh, Return target card from your graveyard to your hand, regrowth, or you can return target creature to its owner's hand. All right, which unsummon, un, expensive unsummon, but unsummon exactly. Yeah, this is a thing, a great example where multiple channel abilities. All right, so you have different ways you can play it, and in all honesty, it, it costs seven, but it's a solid body on the field. If you have the mana available and you want to close out the game, or you need a massive defensive creature, you can use it. And I think that would work out really well, all right? You also want to remember to watch the board state. And you want to use your channel cards the way they were intended when you built your deck, but you may need to switch up things on the fly. So always remember, these are modal cards at this point, and you're deciding how you're going to cast them or use them as the time approaches. So if you need it one way or you intended it one way, but you need it the other, don't be afraid to use it. If you absolutely have to. Chris, if you are playing against channel cards, what should you do? Well, once you know the deck has channel cards in it, keep it in mind for games two and three. You can try and play around the channel cards uh, as much as possible, but that might not always be practical. And lastly, in this case, force your opponents to either use the channel card at inopportune times or create a board state that makes it less profitable for them to use their channel card. Um, ways that you can do that is uh, if there's, uh, I'm just going to use Twin Shot Archer. Um, if they if they have a bunch of, if they're playing Red Deck Bruins, you know, Blitz, whatever, um, and they have those just to either be a body or as damage. Mm -hmm. um, okay, easiest way around that is uh, if your creatures have, if you're able to have your creatures have more than two toughness, uh, you effectively will have to force them to use that on you. Yeah. Rather than your creature so that you can just keep your board state. Um, I know this is going to be niche, but as we said, channel is an activated ability. Yeah. And uh, you know what stops channel? Stifle. Stifle. Disallow. <laughs> yeah. Stifle, disallow. There are ways to counter these abilities. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if you think about it, many of the... The channel cards work on permanence or players, mm -hmm. all right? If you really want to get around channel, play a spells deck. Yeah. You know, they're not out there. They're not getting rid of spells, you know? So if you just get rid of... If you don't play a permanent-based deck, you can work around that. So if you so if you were to play a Spellslinger deck, um, of the channel lands that uh, uh, would be your worst would be a hindrance to you is uh besage you if you're trying for mana fixing right yeah um but uh Iganjo does next to nothing if you're a spell slinger deck because it has to be attacking or blocking creature um atar otawara <laughs> otawara um that one is pretty much useless because you probably won't have any artifacts creatures or enchantments yeah um well, I mean, you may, but it's just going to get bounced to your hand, and you'll be able to replay it. It just sets you back a turn. Um, it shouldn't be. It might be terrible, but it won't be life-threatening, usually. Uh, Shikosen, uh, that one is just, they might, they'll just be able to go a little bit wider. Yeah. 
Um, and Takanuma, they'll be able you to, need to. You need to be in a reanimator deck to do that. Th- and that that's, that's not just, affecting your spell slinging. Yeah, that's <laughs> that. All that all they're doing is if they're going to be reanimating stuff in response to you doing stuff. Yeah. Well, it's kind of moot point at that. Yeah. At that point. Um, not to be fair, most people don't run a deck that way. No. You know, so, but there are ways around the channel ability and some things that you can do to mitigate that. Um, but at the same time, as we've seen from many different formats. Oh, I also have another way around it. Okay. Yeah. Hexproof. Hex, uh, yeah. Hexproof. Hexproof and shroud. <laughs> Ward. Yeah. Can't go, can't go wrong there. <laughs> but as we've seen from the many different formats and how pervasive the channel lands have become, your odds are you're going to run into channel. I mean, you, you just are. Um, most of the channel creatures, artifacts, and such like that, they haven't made it into anything past standard. They're just... The abilities aren't good enough to really see a lot of pioneer, modern, legacy play, all right? Some commander play. But the channel lands... I mean, it's it's just an easy swap. Instead of a forest, I'm going to play Besaju. And all of a sudden, I swap out literally one forest, and I get another removal spell, if I need it. <laughs> I mean, I have... All right, so I know I have at least one. I might have two Besejus, and I'm very tempted to put those into my Arcades deck. Yeah. My modern Arcades deck, or even Pioneer. Right. Just because it's very good removal. Oh. Yes, I'm Yes, I'm giving them a land. Woo. I, but I'm going to be... Too- yeah, but why wouldn't you do it at this point? You yeah. know? Why, why wouldn't you go and, ahead and just put in that removal? And I might even add in uh, Otowaru, um, just for balance. Yeah. Like, just because, I mean... Artifacts, creatures, enchantments, planeswalkers. Three of those four are very common in uh, modern, especially artifacts. Because yeah. I mean, there is a there is a card called Amulet of Vigor. Guess what? That's half of the name of a deck, Amulet Titan. Yeah. If you can return their am- their amulet to their hand, well, you just kind of put a hindrance on them because their whole deck is to get lands that come into play tapped will un amulet will untap them and then they can immediately tap them for for benefits mm-hmm. and yes the amulets abilities do stack so they can tap them multiple times but that's a different story but that's a different story so i mean i'm half tempted to throw if i can get a couple of uh, otowaru um i might put you know one or two of those and you know a couple of besejus yeah and that'll round out you know some of my some of my protection and removal yeah and I mean, I might sidebar, uh, sideboard. Uh, I'm these names are killing me. That one, I got Joe, <laughs> the white, yeah, the white one, yeah, the white land. I might, you know, sideboard that one. Yeah, sideboard a land. Well, that at that point, it's just like I said earlier. It's, it's a the, removal spell. The lands are just yeah. removal spells. Um, so but, I might sideboard that as just a removal spell. It, but it, it's amazing because I don't think we have seen an ability get this much. Com- aside from Companion, which, again, was broken at the beginning and needed to be fixed twice. <laughs> um, I don't think we have seen an ability become this pervasive so many formats so quickly. Because, I mean, again, it's it's that whole land slot. Because it is so easy to swap out a basic land for one of the channel lands. And you see them just pop up. And I, I'm, I was looking at the meta for so many of the big formats, and... Every single one of them, you see decks that are running these. In fact, it's the oddity 
where you see a deck that is not running a channel at this point. Now I'm half tempted not to run a channel land in my... Uh... Just so you can be different? <laughs> I mean, I'm already playing walls. Why not, you know, why not add another nail to the coffin and not run channel lands? Exactly. Though I might sideboard one. <laughs> just, just to have it in there, just so that I can go, yeah, I yeah. have one. So you're, you're going to see channel pop up no matter what format you're... It's just, it's there. It's present, and these lands in particular, they're just so versatile, so utilitarian, that you'll see them all over the place. So, be on the lookout for them. They will exist. Yep. All right, moving on. Let's move on to the scuttlebutt. So, the scuttlebutt for today. We had talked in our last episode about how the Pro Tour was coming back, but we weren't exactly prepared to talk about it too much. And so many people have said so many things about it. We wanted to focus on the Pro Tour and its return from the point of view of your less experienced competitive players. After all, while our, our show is great for some experienced players to maybe get some new insights, or maybe you're a returning player who took a break from the game for a while and you're just coming back and you want to get some information on specific abilities or something like that, it really is for the newer less experienced players, so you can get that extra leg up and you can get some of that support to help you out. So today, Chris and I are going to talk to you a little bit about uh, being a new, less experienced player on the Pro Tour. Um, now, let's get some information out of the way first, all right? Mm -hmm. um, I have never actually attended or participated in a competitive level event, all right? Um, being a judge, I have judged several events, but I am only level one. I have never judged a competitive level event. However, with all the judges that I have talked to and the amount of information that I have gathered, I know a significant amount about judging at a competitive level event. But again, I have no experience actually doing it. So a lot of my information is going to be very much, listen, here's what can happen, and, and we'll go from there. Chris, your experience at competitive events? Uh, I've been to one Grand Prix. Uh, so I... So I have been, I have participated in a competitive rules enforcement level right. um, event. It is different, but at the same time, it's not. Um, and we can get more into that uh, um, towards the uh, end of the scuttlebutt. But uh, so I have a little bit of experience more from the player side, whereas Joe kind of has more like judge side. Home. But again, very much just informational. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no experience actually judging one. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to talk, we're really talking about getting you into the, the Pro Tour system. And when we say the Pro Tour idea, all right, keep in mind this is what, we, what they have called the path to the Pro Tour. But it's going to start with a regional championship qualifier. Now remember, there's, there's a large funnel that you have to get through to actually make it to the Pro Tour. And typically, your local game store is going to be the first stop on your Pro Tour adventure. So if you are interested in this, talk with your local game store. Um, whoever typically runs Friday Night Magic will probably also be the person that you talk to about, well, are you going to do a regional championship qualifier, an RCQ, as they will become called, all right? Now, maybe your store isn't going to run an RCQ. Maybe it, you're going to have to go to a different store. But it's not going to be... A lot of people hear Pro Tour, and they think big, high-level event with a lot of really competitive, experienced players. And the Pro Tour is that. But 
you have to get to that level first. And so you start with a lot of just general players. And really, it's going to be rather similar, my understanding, to a Friday Night Magic at competitive rules enforcement. All right. So it'll, it'll still be a lot of... It, there may be some people that you know. There will probably be a lot of people that you don't. But it's going to be typically with in a place in which you're familiar, around people with, 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 with whom you're familiar, and probably the tournament organizer, you may know them by name. They may be your local person for Friday Night Magic. All right. Maybe you'll have to go to the next town over or the next local place where Chris and I happen to live. There are various places that we can go to within about an hour of us, all right? And in all honesty, because we've been playing for a while, we've been to those card shops before, so we are familiar with the scene. Um, you know, we may not know the TO by name or anything, like we do at our local game store where we go every week, uh, but we are familiar with these places. And so it shouldn't be something that you to be afraid of. It's designed to make you feel comfortable, and start off in a place that is very welcoming of players of all experience levels who just want to give it a shot, all right? And who knows, you might be that underdog that comes in with an amazing deck and comes out of nowhere, ends up winning it all. Now, once you get past the RCQ, then you go to the regional championships, and that is going to be a little more competitive. You're going to have to probably drive, <laughs> travel. Uh, you should expect probably to be in a different state you will probably want to spend the night somewhere. So if you get out of your regional championship qualifier, then you're going to have a little bit more of a heightened level of competition. You are going to be facing a number of people that are quite good because they all won their RCQ as well. And I believe they said they're looking at about 300 players to be at the regional championship level. Somewhere around that, three, maybe 350 or 360. Um, but that was the last I had heard. So you're, you're looking at a bigger event, more competitive, but it's also, again, it's somewhere where you've proven yourself already, so don't be afraid to go there. And I think that's, that's about where we're going to stop when it comes to our less experienced players. If you happen to get to the Pro Tour, congratulations. That is awesome. <laughs> Seriously, fantastic. But right there, I mean, if you can get through the regional championship qualifiers and get to the regional championships, or if you just you get yourself to a regional championship qualifier and you go and experience competitive level play. I mean, I can't wait for one in our area. That's the whole reason I'm building the Pioneer deck. I want to go. I wanted to give it a shot. Who knows what could happen? So some other things you should Don't spend a fortune. Don't feel like you have to spend a fortune. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> so with mostly with Modern, but also kind of with Pioneer, um, some of these decks can run a thousand plus dollars easy um especially in modern because you have access to the fetch lands and you know all of that wonderful stuff where like half to three quarters of your deck value is in lands alone um you can it may not be optimized to um to not run like all of the big splashy lands or whatever but play what you want like it you don't have to play top tier meta you can play whatever you want i'm playing walls i am playing a janky deck like straight up i have no problem saying it. i am going i am going to go to it do you know what the meta is? do you know what bant walls is in uh the modern meta i would say you're talking hundredths or if not thousands of a percent it doesn't even register <laughs> when i played Dermar so in 2019 when i went to the grand prix yeah 
Demir Mill made up 0.4% of the meta. I wasn't even, I was playing a deck that wasn't even half of a percent of the meta. Well, I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna play an Orzhov Prison deck. No one, no one even considers Orzhov Prison. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, have fun. Yeah. Um, another thing you want to remember whenever you're going to these things is make sure you know how your deck works. This is going to be a callback to one of our words to live by. You have to be able to pilot your deck. Yeah. Um, and for a variety of reasons. Um, that way, for me, uh, I know. At, I can tell you 80% of my Bant Walls deck right. off the top of my head. And so because I have that knowledge in my head, if I'm playing a game and someone has, you know, someone, my opponent is doing things, I can easily think of all the cards in my deck, what they all do, and I can go, all right, I need this to do this, I need this to do this. Right. So, you can, so that you can modify your plan on the fly and adapt it to how you need it while also making sure that you are still doing what you want you to do. Yeah. Um, well, and I think when, when, you, when I was a less experienced player, I know one of my fears about going even to FNM was that I didn't know what my opponents were going to do. Now, part of this was because I was just afraid they were going to just trounce me entirely, which admittedly did happen a couple of times. And that's okay. That When you don't have a large card pool to work from, you work with what you have, yeah, you're going to get trounced a couple of times if it's not a great deck. All right? But that's okay. But part of the fear was also, am I going to understand how everything works when I'm playing against my opponent? Keep in mind, for competitive level events, they will have a certified judge on staff, or more, depending on, you know, more than one, depending on the size of the event. You're responsible for knowing how your deck works. And you should know how your deck works, so that you understand exactly how it's supposed to function. Your opponent is responsible for knowing how their deck works, and if there are any concerns about the interaction between the two, you throw your judge. hand up and call for a judge. Exactly. The judge will solve any unknown interactions. So don't be afraid about getting there and saying, well, I'm going to work. You know, what if I don't know the answer to something? What Are we going to have to guess? No. Judge. judge. You throw your hand up for the judge and you just explain the situation. Hey, my opponent played this card. I played this card in response to it but we're not entirely sure how they interact. The judge will read the cards, answer the question for you. And if you want to know how a card will interact with something your opponent is doing on the table, but you're not entirely sure and you don't want to give away what you have in your hand, you can call the judge over and say, I have a question about a potential interaction. I'd like to speak to you away from the table. They will absolutely do that. All right, get up. You'll walk away from the table a little bit. You can show the exact card in your hand that you're, you want to do or you want to talk to him about. Or maybe it's not even in your hand. Maybe you remember it in your head and you can tell, I have this card in my deck. They have this on the table. I know it's in the deck somewhere. I would like to be able to play it, but I don't know if it's going to interact exactly the way I think it's going to. Will you help me to make sure that my plan is going to work correctly and what I'm doing is legal? And again, they will look up the card. They'll be able to tell you immediately right there um, whether the interaction will happen as you expect it or whether it won't do what you want to do. So yeah, don't be afraid about is it going to work correctly or, you know, or how my deck is going to work with theirs. Let the judge figure that out if you have any questions. And now, you should have a plan for how to combat what your opponent does. You know, That's just being a good player. But if you don't have all the answers, that's okay. That's why the judges are there. I mean, when so at the Grand Prix that I went to, 
it was at least a level two head judge, possibly a level three. I can't remember, mm-hmm. but there were fourteen rows of tables. Yeah, and there were four judges per row. We had a lot of judges. That's a lot of judges, actually. Well, there was also 700 players. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, okay. That's, yeah, that's reasonable then. And so, so we had all of those judges. And then as people started getting knocked, started dropping and getting knocked out and stuff like that, then, you know, of course, then all of those judges just start descending on the, yeah, on a couple tables. tables. Yeah. (laughs) On those fewer and fewer tables. And like you just have all of those eyes on you. But if you get to that point, it's, they aren't there to stress you out. No. They are there to make sure that you are playing the game correctly. But even then, they're not there to police your games either. They are there to answer questions. If they spot mistakes, they may step in. But at the same time, that depends on the mistake. If an opponent misses their trigger, they're not required. you're not required to call attention to it. And the judge is not required to step in and say anything. Depend, if, depending if, on the trigger. If they, <laughs> if, they miss a, if they say they miss a draw trigger. Right. And they miss it. You aren't obligated to tell them that they missed the trigger. Yeah. So the, I mean, you can be like, hey, you, you know, after the fact, you can be like, hey, by the way, you missed your trigger. Um. Now, be careful when you do that because it might come off kind of rude. Yeah. Um. But first and foremost, even though it's a competitive level, have fun. Yeah. Like my first, my first game at the Grand Prix. It was my first time playing in a competitive event. There were 700 people. I was a nobody. <laughs> like, I like honestly, I went into that knowing that if I won one game, I'd win. I, I, if I had won one game, not even a round, if I had won one game, it would have been a good day. Now, I got absolutely trounced my, in the first two games. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a shutout, hands down. He completely dismantled my entire deck with, like, three cards. It got to the point where, yeah, I, I have nothing. I'm just going to scoop. I scooped both games. Mm-hmm. And uh, and because we were like 15 minutes into the 50-minute round, it was like the guy that was sitting across from me, he was like, it's like, it's like yeah, it's like, are, are you okay? It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm just a little nervous and kind of stressed out a little bit. I mean, because I'm used to playing at Friday Night Magics and stuff like that, and this is my first time at a Grand Prix and it's just like a little overwhelming and everything. And the guy just looked at me and went, dude, relax. You're here to play. We're all here to play magic. Yes. Yes. There's going to be some of us that are going to be sweaty, but <laughs> like, there's going to be some Timmy's there's we're going to, we're all Timmy's spikes, you know, Johnny's whatever. Like we're all here playing a game that we love. Like if you don't win, it's okay. If you win, that's awesome. But just have fun. Relax. Like there's nobody, like nobody's pressuring you to do good or anything like that. Like right. you're your own worst enemy. Just you know, take a breath and have fun. And after he told me that, I was having a blast. Uh, my I called judge a couple of times, and my opponent called judge on yeah. me a couple of times. Minor, all minor things. Yeah. Like they, most of it was just like rules interactions and stuff like that. Right. Um, or you know stuff like that. Um, and uh, like. If you if your opponent calls a judge, it's not a bad thing. It it just means that they have a question. Your opponent, nine times out of ten, well nine and a half times out of ten, your opponent is not going to maliciously be calling the judge just to try to hit you with warnings or anything. Right. Um. But one thing you have to remember is you will make mistakes. You're human. It's life. You will make mistakes. Don't let them get to you. And with that being said, warnings at 
the competitive rules enforcement level aren't bad. They happen. It It's okay. You'll be fine. Now, barring, you know, flipping a table, stealing cards, punching someone in the face, you know, right. things that are, you know, kind of outright illegal or heavily <laughs> frowned upon. Um, yeah, those things will definitely... Those will those get be you. disqualified and you're going to be out of here. Yeah, those those won't be warnings. Those will be DQs, but like... Um, but if, if you... But if you... If you forget to disc at your end step, if you forget to discard down, discard down to seven, and your opponent calls judge on you, you know, asks you, it's like card in hand, and I'm like eight, eight. Oh, I forgot to discard. He he's in his full right to go judge, and you know, say like he didn't discard down at the end of his turn. He didn't discard down to seven, and he doesn't have anything on the field that lets him have no maximum hand size. Right. So at that point, it would be the judge would just be like, hey. Remember to discard. And I forget, in the, there, there are, there's an infraction procedure guide that talks about all the various categories of mistakes, and they'll apply the fix as necessary. They'll take care of it. But again, even if you get a warning for it, it's one warning. Think of it as a yellow card. Right. One thing about professional athletes, with all of their experience playing their sport, they still make mistakes. People get thrown in the penalty box. People get free throws. You foul out of games. You lose yards or anything like that. It happens, all right? So even professionals make mistakes. Relax. It's going to be okay. So if you're one of those less experienced players, I hope that what we've had to say helps set your mind at ease a little bit. Again, I'm really excited. I can't wait for our RCQ, whenever it happens to be, or whatever the local one happens to be. I definitely plan to go. Um, I'm really excited, and I hope to be able to come back and talk to you all about you know, my experience later on down the road. But by all means, if you have any nerves about it at all, just go. Go. Play. Have fun, and just do do the best you can. Yeah. It, just think of it. What really helped me was after the first game, I stopped thinking of it as a Grand Prix, and I started thinking thinking of it as a Friday Night Magic with a lot more people. The way we wish Friday Night Magic always was. <laughs> yes. like, And it is it is at the larger tournaments. Mm-hmm. It is just surreal. It, it's a completely different experience. And it's just, I miss it. Like, I've only been to one and I want to go to another one. Yeah. Like, so if I'm able to, if I'm even able to get to the regional championships, if I'm able to get to the RC. That'd be awesome. That would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, and... I think it's, what, top 10 from RCs go to Pro Tour? I honestly haven't even... I, I know I'm not going to get past the regional championship, so I'm not concerned about it. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, but still, like, I mean, whenever we were... When Joe pulled up the pyramid and everything, I'm looking at it, and I'm going, huh. Uh, so for sports uh, fans, the analogy that I came up with is your RCQ is high school. Yeah. Your original qualifier, original championship, that's college. Yeah. And then your pro tour, that's pros. Mm-hmm. And then world champion, oh, that's the Olympics. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, that's how I see it. And it's like, all right, cool. I mean, as whoever, it's honestly going to be whoever finds out first between Joe and I, whoever finds out first about the RCQ is going to be telling the other one oh, yeah. and even our group <laughs> and going, hey, we need to do this. Right. This is going to be fun. Let's go do it. <laughs> Let's go do it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, go out, have some fun. 
you don't know how good you're going to do until you do it. Yeah. It, you don't know. And it even if you don't make it, you still have the memories. Right. You you still, still can you still ha- you still have the swag from that you went, you, you know, cuz Typically, whenever you go to like the regional champion, like right, pro, like Grand Prix always Grand, did some extra stuff. Yeah, for Grand you. Prix, I got a, I got a like promo lightning bolt that's really awesome, yeah. and a play mat and stuff like that. Like, if you go to the bigger things, you can get swag, and the memories are so much more mm-hmm. for me. The mem- the good memories outweigh the fact that I finished that Grand Prix with a record of three and five. And on that note. Best of luck at your regional championship qualifier. Let us know how you did, and yeah. you can do so by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also let us know on Facebook and Twitter using the handle at mtgunderthehood. And with that, I want to say thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.